The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Uh, I want to get in the Word. This is an exciting thing for me. Every time we open up the Scripture, I get super pumped because I love the Word of God. It's been a big part of my life since becoming a believer. It, and I say that not uh, uh, thinking that it's not a big part of other people's lives because I believe that the Scripture is, is a part of every believer's life. I do think, though, that there's a, an appetite that can be formed for the Scripture that's centered around the, the awareness of what it does. The more you see the power of the Word of God active in your life, uh, the greater uh, appeal it has. You begin to see like, wow, hey, this thing works, right? And you begin to apply it. And I remember as a young believer, I would have success in things kind of accidentally. You stumble onto it, right? You do some things and you'd be like, hey, I like the result of that. Then you start reading in the scripture and it starts to make sense. Hey, I got that result because I did it this way. And, and then as you grow and mature, you realize, well, I can do it that way on purpose. I can plan to do it that way and then therefore get that result intentionally, right? And as we mature as believers, we become more intentional. We do things on purpose, intentionally, to get the result that God promises. And that all comes when we begin to rightly apply the Scripture. So as we look at the Scripture this morning, I want to encourage you that I think there's some things that we can rightly apply and get a, a really good result. And it should be exciting to all of us here. Uh, here's a few things that we're going to find. If you're taking notes, which I strongly encourage, if you take notes, you get to jot a few things down. These are things that maybe stood out to me, and, and I think that they uh, help us to kind of navigate through. Uh, they give you a little bit of a, a, a mile marker here as we get through the message. If you haven't figured it out by now, there's kind of one in the beginning, one in the middle, and one toward the end. So kind of helps you stay engaged. And there, there are things that might pique your interest, and uh, I think it's worth making a note of. So uh, one is something that we all need to do. That's the first thing we're going to find. I love things that are all-inclusive, right? I love things that are absolute, like everyone needs to do this uh, because you're not speaking to a specific group. You're not talking to, you know, a, a certain uh, a class or, 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 or group of people who would fall in a certain category. This is all-inclusive. And when it's all-inclusive, then that means that you can just speak directly to everybody, including yourself, knowing that this applies to every single person in the room. What we all need to do, another thing that we're going to find is uh, how to know it's love. How to know it's love. We use the word love a lot, and we've, we've done series on love, and we'll do those series again because I think it's a very effective uh, series of uh, topic to uh, engage in. But there's a, there's a way to know that love is involved, and there's a way that, to know then, therefore, that love is not involved. And it's important for us to know where love is involved so that we can celebrate that and participate in receiving and uh, reciprocating that, uh, that wonderful thing that is love. A third thing that we're going to find is the result of passing what I'm calling the test. The result of passing the test. And that one is a little bit uh, of a cheat because it's going to be tied to the first one that we find. So let's just jump right in. That first one was going to be what we all need to do. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, <clears throat> excuse me, is going to reveal something that applies to every single one of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 5, it reads like this. 
Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? That's a weird way to say that. We don't really talk that way today. Uh, but, but the Apostle Paul is writing here, and he's writing to Christians. That's the first thing that we need to acknowledge. He's writing this to the believers that are known as the Corinthians. They're in Corinth. And, and so he's writing this letter to them, and he's giving them this instruction. This instruction is that all of these believers, and that applies to me and you as Christians, need to test themselves. Test themselves for what? Well, he says here, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. I mean, this is a pretty interesting thing to think about. I mean, honestly, the way we pitch Christianity most of the time is as if it's a one-time sign-up, right? Join the club and you're in. And Paul is saying here, hey, examine yourself. Just test. Make sure that you're in the faith. Now, what he's not saying is, hey, you ought to be concerned about your security here. What he's saying is make sure that you're living this out every day. Right? I mean, you, you, you have called on the name of Jesus. You have, have received God's gift and his wonderful mercy. Now make sure this is a part of your everyday life. Why would he say something like that? Well, because if it's not part of your everyday life, we're missing out. Not only are we missing out, but the world is missing out. Because the wonderful things that you're called to carry, the world desperately needs. And if we miss out on providing those things, the world misses out on receiving those things. And when the world misses out on receiving those things, it's really no good. And when you look at the state of things right now in the world, I can see there's a great need for the things that come from Jesus Christ. Which I feel is a call on believers to start producing those things. To examine ourselves. To see to it that we're actually living out the faith. So I want to give a, a, a bit of a call to where we're going with this. You have to first of all understand what Paul is communicating here. Listen to what he, he writes again, and I'm going to point something out. He said, test yourself to see to it that you're in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize this about you, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you indeed fail the test? That, well, the way that last part is worded is a little bit like you're receiving instruction from Master Yoda, right? It's kind of spoken goofy. We're thinking like, wait, will you say that again? Because I didn't quite catch that. He's saying, test yourself, examine yourself. You're going to find that you look just like Jesus unless you fail the test. When we pass this test, we look like Jesus. That means we're doing the things Jesus does. We're saying the things Jesus says. We look like Jesus when we pass this test. If we don't pass this test, then we don't look like Jesus. Who would we look like then? Well, we would look like the rest of the world. I want to give you a passage of scripture that I think is really important. It's very foundational as it concerns your call as a Christian. It comes from the Gospel of John, and it comes from chapter 17. Uh, chapter 17 is Jesus praying for you. I've said this before, and I'll say it a, a, a thousand times again. If you're ever having a rough go, read John 17. Just to be reminded how Jesus feels about you. That when Jesus would be facing the cross, when he would be facing the, the most uh, intense torment, pain, and suffering that any man could ever face, he would think of you and he would say these things. He wouldn't say things like, you know, I hope they know how much I'm suffering for them. I hope they know how hard this is for me. He wouldn't fuss and whine, but rather he would go to God with affection and love for you, and he would ask God to do great things on your behalf. It's really amazing. 
Now, as he's praying, and as he's praying for you, he says this. I'm going to begin in verse 13. So you're in John 17, and, and we're going to get to verse 13. And Jesus says, uh, now, Father, I come to you, and I, I speak these things as I'm in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. That means Jesus wants you joyful. That's a good thing. I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I want to stop right there. That, that's something that we ought to just emphasize and consider. Jesus is already acknowledging, one, you, you don't look like the world. You don't fit in. In fact, the world's going to hate you for that, right? That's a big deal. If I blend in with the world, I'm doing Christianity wrong. The world should hate me. Now, I don't, I'm not thrilled with that. I don't like that. That's not something that I would boast about. It's just something I'm aware of, that when I'm living my life in Christianity, the things of the world don't fit with my life. And as Jesus is talking about this, he goes on to say something else. And keep in mind, he's praying. He's praying for you. And as he's praying, he says, they are not of the world just like I'm not. Jesus just compared you to him. He said, they're just like me. Now, that ought to stir some things inside of us. It ought to lift all of these thoughts that Jesus is some kind of extraterrestrial that came down to show us a better way that maybe one day we'll attain to. Rather, he emptied himself of all things divine, came to be a man, was filled with the Holy Ghost just like you can be filled with the Holy Ghost and lived out his life in a pleasing way to God just like we can too. And as he prayed, he spoke to God and said, hey, they're not of the world just like I'm not of the world. He goes on to say these things. Even as I'm not of the world, now, Father, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. Protect them is what he's asking. Now he goes on to talk about how this protection will come to pass. They're not of the world even as I'm not of the world, so sanctify them in truth. Your word is the truth. You sent me into this world as I also now send them into the world, for their sakes I sanctify myself so that they themselves might be sanctified in truth. Boy, that's a mouthful. The point is, is Jesus is saying, hey, I live this way so that they can live this way because they're called to look just like me. Let me tell you something. That's an amazing thing to consider, and it's a tremendous responsibility for any role of leadership, any role of leadership. And every single person in this room has a measure of leadership attached to their life right now. As it concerns like the Congregation of Champions Church, I make choices and decisions based on that passage of Scripture. I mean, I want to bring something that's worth having, so I make choices and decisions in my life to see to it that all that I serve in leadership are going to get those things that they need. You have leadership in your life. The choices and decisions that you make will affect the people that you lead and that you serve. Jesus is saying, I live this way on purpose. I live this way so that they can live this way. I live this way so that they can have an example. I look this way so that they can look this way. I live a sanctified life so that Preston can live a sanctified life, so that Lincoln can live a sanctified life, so that Maddox can live a sanctified life. And when you consider that Jesus prays and he reveals this thing, it makes your relationship with him extremely personal. You mean you're doing all of this for me. You're making the choices and the decisions, even the hard ones, especially the hard ones, for me. So that I can look that way too, and the answer is absolutely yes. So then the question is, what does Jesus look like so that we can look like him? 
Well, Jesus is walking in the Spirit of God. I mean, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and remains upon him, and he goes about doing these wonderful and, 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 and powerful works of ministry where you see the Holy Spirit active, you see the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. All of these things are meant to be an example for my life and your life today. So when we test ourselves to see to it that we're in the faith, the test is, do we look like Jesus? Remember what Paul wrote there when he wrote to the Corinthians. He said this, test yourself to make sure that you're in the faith, to make sure that you're actually living out your Christianity. Recognize this, that Jesus is in you. You're going to recognize that you're in the faith when you see Jesus, when you see Jesus in you and through you. And if we fail the test, we won't see Jesus in us and through us. So when I'm testing myself, and in this message, when I'm calling us as a congregation to test ourselves, the test is, do we have the things that Jesus has? Do our lives look like the life of Jesus Christ? And I think there's a simple way to do this. There's, it's not absolute. There are other ways you could examine yourself. But I want to examine myself for the fruits of the Holy Spirit. For Jesus to function in ministry, the Holy Spirit active through his life, bringing about the fruits of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I want to test myself for those wonderful things. And today what I want to talk about is the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You'll find those listed in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. I'll, I'll read it off to you here. If you want to mark it for your notes, it's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruits are listed off as the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the things the Holy Spirit produces are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When I'm testing myself, examining myself to see that I'm in the faith, to see that my faith is being lived out in my life, when I want to test myself to see, do I look like Jesus, I need to look for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when I see those things active, I can be encouraged that I'm living out my faith, that I'm doing the things that I'm equipped to do. When I see those things missing, I don't drop to my knees and cry and think, oh my God, I failed. I adjust. And I realize, oh my, I need to begin to behave like Jesus. I need to stop being selfish and I need to start producing the things that the Holy Spirit is in me to produce. And I fail this test a lot. In fact, this past week, I think I set an all-time high. But I want to just offer you these things. I want to give you a test for each one of these. So we're going to go love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm going to give you a test for each of them to see if that's present in your situation or in your circumstance. If we're called to have love in our lives, I want to give you a love test here. All right, so here's the love test. I told you before you're going to find out how to know if love is involved. You'll find it out right here. Uh, I'll give you the love test. It's not exclusive. You'll probably find others in the scripture, but this is just one from 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. If you want to know if love is involved in any situation, consider this verse and then ask yourself the following. So here's the verse. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, drives it out, doesn't ask it to leave but leaves no room for it to exist. If love is present, there cannot be fear present. 
when I begin to examine my life for the presence of love, is love an active part of this situation? I have to ask myself, is there any fear? And if I begin to see fear present in that situation, it reveals to me a deficit of love. It affects how I pray. I don't just pray, God, get rid of this fear. Please take this fear away from me, which isn't a bad prayer to pray. But I begin to pray, Father, please reveal to me your love so that this fear will be driven out. Whatever hindrance there is for your love, whether it be me receiving it from you or me giving it to that situation because of anger or hurt or wound or pride or some disappointment or some vindictive thing, let all that garbage stop and let love come in and drive away fear. I want to pass the love test. Everywhere I go, I want fear to run and hide because I want to carry the love of God that drives it out. Joy. Joy is the other, uh, another fruit here that, that is the result of the Holy Spirit as we begin to test our lives and examine ourselves. Do we have the things that Jesus has active in our lives There's going to be love, which means the absence of fear. There's going to be joy. Let me read a passage of scripture here that will serve as a joy test from the Proverbs, Proverbs 19, 19. It reads like this. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy, and your right hand are pleasures forever. Now, the yours there are God's. God in your presence is the fullness of joy, and in your presence... There's pleasures forever. So when I look at this passage of Scripture, I I ask myself, am I indulging in the presence of God? Or do I run and hide from the presence of God? Now, that might sound a little bit bizarre to you because I know we could all make the argument, well, God is everywhere. But I want you to consider something. When joy began to be touched in the very beginning when sin was present, what did Adam and Eve do? They went and hid from God. They hid from him. They didn't want to be in his presence. And I ask myself on occasion when I begin to find this void or this absence of joy, am I hiding from God? Is there something I'm embarrassed about or ashamed about that I don't want revealed because of fear that there's going to be some retribution? Is there something nasty that has gotten into my life that is now beginning to steal away the joy that I'm called to walk in and distribute everywhere I go just like Jesus? Do I enjoy the presence of God? Or am I hiding from the presence of God? And that's the kind of question that only you can answer. I don't think other people answer that for you, but I do think it's worth pondering and considering. So we examine ourselves and we test for love. We look, is there fear present in this situation? If there is, we need to get love active and present. We look and we examine for joy. Is there joy in this situation? We look and we ask, can we indulge in the presence of God? Man, there are times where I will step foot into this sanctuary and and there will be worship and celebration and the release of gratitude going on and I will be like a, 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 a stump or a rock right here on the front row, completely disengaged from that worship and thanksgiving and gratitude because my mind is racing with all the nonsense that I've got going on outside of this place. That's what I'm talking about. Or I realize I'm not indulging in the presence of God. My mind is elsewhere, and therefore my joy is touched. I want to be in the presence of God, where there is the fullness of joy, where there is that relief and that prosperity of all of those things that rest in the hand of our God. 
So we have the love test, the joy test. Now I want to give you the, another one on the list, the peace test. Are we going to examine ourselves and find peace? Well, here's a passage of scripture that you can use to examine yourself to see if peace is present. Now remember, we're examining ourselves to see if we're living out our faith, right? If we're walking in the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit present and active. The peace test. I'll give you a passage of scripture from Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. I want to read verses 6 and 7. It reads like this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and guard your mind in Jesus Christ. Pretty wonderful and powerful thing to consider, isn't it? I mean, honestly, I think that might be the one right there. If someone were to ask me, hey, Preston, would you like to have your heart guarded by Jesus Christ? I would say absolutely yes. Well, there it is. But when you've got to examine this and you put yourself to the test and you examine yourself to see if you are living in the faith, so to speak, that's what you've got to look for. Is there the presence of worry? Is there the presence of doubt? Is there the presence of anxiety? That call is to be anxious for nothing, worry about nothing. Let there be no room for anxiety to prevail. And in this, we do that through gratitude and thanksgiving and prayer and supplication. The wonderful thing about this is the result. The result is that uh, protection in your mind, the guarding of your mind and the guarding of your heart by Jesus. So we continue to examine ourselves. Are we in the faith? Have we simply just signed up for Christianity and continue to live like the world lives? Or is the faith affecting our day-to-day -day choices and decisions? As we examine ourselves, we look for love, we look for joy, we look for peace. Now here comes the one that we're all going to cringe uh, when I say it. We're going to look for patience. Uh, some of us even right now are tapping our foot like, hurry up, pastor, get through this one. Yeah, patience. Here's a passage of scripture for you as it concerns patience. If you're testing yourself for patience, apply this passage of scripture and just ask, you know, uh, is this something that, that I bring to the table, right? Uh, this is, some of these are a bit of a stretch, and I have to explain them, but hang in there with me because I think once they're explained, it'll make sense. Here's the passage. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than a, a haughty spirit or, or a proud heart is a good way to say that. So, you know, we read the Proverbs. I love the Proverbs, but occasionally it's like Christian fortune cookies, right? I mean, you read that and you think like, hmm, that's very interesting. But what does it do for you? Unless you sit and you realize like, hey, what's being said here? And you, you think about it, break it down, run it forwards, run it backwards. And when you do that, you'll find out what's actually being spoken here. And here's what I want to offer to you as it concerns this passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it again, then we're going to run it backwards. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than that proud heart. I have to ask myself, am I bringing patience to the table, which is better than that pride? I'll do it my way in my time right here, right now. I can't wait for you. We're doing it the way I want to do it. The result should be better than the beginning. Now, I have to ask myself, when I step into any situation, is it better in the end than in the beginning? When something gets handed to me, does it end up better than it started? That's how I examine if patience is present. Patience is always provoked by something unpleasant, right? 
Nobody's ever offered you a, a nice plate of strawberry shortcake and your patience has been tested, right? It's like, I like that. That's good. That's pleasant. But when you have to wait, when something doesn't go right, that's where patience is tested. So you're already dealing with something that started off unpleasant. Now the question is, does it end unpleasant or does it get better? I get handed all kinds of things that are unpleasant. I'll step into a work situation. It's unpleasant. When I'm done with it, is it better or is it still bad? That will reveal to me whether or not I'm working in patience or patience is something that needs to be introduced. Does stuff get better when you get involved or does it get worse? And if it's not getting better, then maybe the prayer needs to be for that impartation of patience. And there's great ways to take this and apply it to your prayer life. I mean, uh, one of the first ways is just acknowledging that these things are present by the Holy Spirit in our life. It's just a simple uh, attitude and action of, of humbling our heart to, to ask for them to be magnified or, or released in and through us. Father, I know your spirit is present to give me patience in these situations. I need that right now because I'm failing miserably. This started bad and it's getting worse. Let your patience be released through me so that this can end well. And I want you to think about that. There's been a number of times where I've been called into someone's office or someone's called my phone and it's been, hey, we have a problem. And you have all these things rise up in you where you want to, to defend yourself or you want to, to fire back. But when you're patient and you open up the door for the Spirit of God to move, the end result is better than the beginning. I would like for that to be how my life is described. You know what? Everything that got handed to him, he made better. Everything that came his way was better off when he was done with it than when he got it. That's a pretty good way to be described. And I think that's going to require patience, to not be provoked to make things worse, but to be patient to bring about solution. So as we examine ourselves, are we like Jesus? I mean, is, is Jesus not just uh, what I've signed up for, but is he who I am in my life, that I'm being like him in my words and my actions? We examine ourselves for love. We examine for joy. We examine for peace. We examine for patience. And now we move on to kindness. This is one that I miss a few times. Kindness can be something that's a, a, a challenge, especially if you're wired a certain way in your personality, if you're very aggressive by nature. There are times where, like, I have people saying, hey, you know, we have a problem here. If you would just be kind. And I'm thinking, I'm being kind. You know? <laughs> I'm thinking, you couldn't handle if I wasn't, you know. I mean, like, the world would end, and, and you'd be calling the cops, and it would be, I mean, that's not a good card to play, you know. The reality is kindness is relative to the one receiving it. It doesn't matter if you think you're being kind. It matters if they think you're being kind. I remember, you know, telling my wife, so she was telling me that kindness was absent in a situation, and, and, you know, she was right. She was absolutely right. And that's not a joke. Like, my wife was right. Ha-ha, <laughs> ba -dum, I mean, she was right. I wasn't being kind. And, and in this situation, though, I kept defending that I wasn't being mean. Well, I'm not being mean. I'm not being mean. I'm not trying to be mean. And then finally she said, yeah, well, you're not trying to be kind. And let me tell you something. That hit like a ton of bricks. I thought, here I am telling you that I'm not trying to be mean, and, and you're telling me that I'm not trying to be kind. That's where I need to focus. I need to try to be kind. I need to just not try to not be mean, right? It's not my goal to just come in here and not hurt anybody, even though nobody wants to get hurt, right? 
It's my goal to come in here and help people and heal people. I, I want to do the right thing, not just not do the wrong thing. So while I'm telling her I deserve a medal for not doing the wrong thing, so, yeah, you shouldn't do that anyway. But what you need to do is do the right thing and do it on purpose. Kindness. I'll give you a passage of scripture here if we're going to test for kindness. This one's going to be one that's going to require a little bit of reading between the lines. Romans 2.4. It says, don't think lightly of the riches of God's kindness and his patience toward us, but know that the kindness of God leads to repentance. Wonderful passage of scripture. You know, we can apply that a lot to our, our new birth, that we would you know, abandon ways of darkness and, and, and hold tight to the, the wonderful gift of God and his mercy and pulling us into the light, all of these things. And that's a really great way to interpret that. But I like to just translate the word repentance there because it's, it's a word that we don't use every day. It's a very churchy word, right? We reserve it for laying down sinful ways, which is really a good way to look at it. But the, the idea of repentance is change. Like when you see repent in the scripture, it's normally attached to two other words, and return. Repent and return. It, it's, it's by translation, by definition, it means to turn around. Quit going that way and start going the way you should go, right? It's about making a change. And change is a word that I use a lot. We use it in our vocabulary a whole lot, right? I mean, we can be talking to a spouse or a child. We'd be like, hey, this needs to change. You know, this behavior needs to change. This attitude needs to change. We use the word change all the time. So I like to take that word and, and without changing any of the meaning of this scripture, only changing its relevance to my current vocabulary, I like to substitute the word change for repent. And when you consider that, it, it's really interesting. It's, uh, so let me just do that for you really quickly. Uh, don't think lightly of the riches of God's kindness or his patience toward us, but know that it's the kindness of God that leads you to change. There are all kinds of situations that I want to be different. I want to, I want to change things at work. I want to change things in the church. I want to change things in my home. I want to change things big time in my own life. There's a lot of stuff I want to change, and what I realize is that it's going to change through kindness. Now, I mean, I grew up in a culture that said you change it through violence, you know. You change it through being bigger, louder, and you force it into submission. That's not how you get change. Uh, that's how you get a lot of heartache. The reality is kindness is what's going to produce change. And I can see this and I can, can look to God and, and ask, Father, will you magnify your example, what you've done for me? Let me see it and understand it so clearly so that I can go and duplicate it over here. All the love and the grace and the kindness that you had for me that brought me to a place where I was willing to change, let me carry that over here and introduce that so that change can be the result. So that people don't just change because they better, but they change because the kindness of God has worked on their heart in such a measure that they desire to be different. It's no longer by force. And that's what makes it real. And everything that you want in your life, whether it's for your life or those around you, you want that change to be real. It's really profound to say this, it's not real, it's fake. All right, so we're testing for love. We're testing for joy and peace and patience. We've got to move fast here because it's getting late. Kindness, goodness is the next one. Goodness is one that we want to test for. And, and I want to, to 
offer this as a passage of scripture as we test for goodness. We want to look like Jesus. We're testing our life to see, do we look like our, our faith proclaims? Are we living it out? Goodness, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, describes Jesus, and it describes his goodness. It says this, You know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I want to see that in my life. I want to see the doing of good. I want to see people being liberated from their oppression, all because of the goodness of God in and through my life. Now, there's a couple of ways you can look at this. You can look at this as, you know, something that needs to be introduced. You can look at this as something that needs to be uh, magnified or amplified so that it's more than just talk. It's more than word, but that there's action, and we begin to actually minister hands-on. You can look at it from a number of ways, but the reality is it needs to be an active part of our life if we're to look like Jesus. So we continue to test. We've tested for love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, now faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'll give you a passage of scripture here uh, for your notes. Deuteronomy 7, 9. It, it says this. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he's God. He's the faithful one who keeps his word. It's a big deal. I mean, it's a really big deal. When we consider are we faithful in the things that we do. I mean, there's so much broken covenant and broken agreement in our culture today in, in every aspect of our living. It's not just a marriage and family thing. It can be a, a business. It can be all kinds of transactions. It could be uh, the smallest thing to the largest thing. The reality is faithfulness is really important. And we're not bound by legalism in these things because these are things that are very fluid and there's always circumstances that are unique. And that's why we need to be spirit-led in every one of those things. But the reality is, as I'm searching my heart, I have to ask myself, am I faithful or am I all talk? Do I just say I'll do it or do I do it? When I make that commitment, when I am devoted to something, when I offer my vow, is fidelity and faithfulness a part of who I am? Or is it just a part of who I'd like to be one day? And and the reality is, if we're living out our faith, if we're testing ourselves and examining ourselves to see to it that we are in the faith, then faithfulness and fidelity will be a very active part of who we are. As we continue to test, we test for love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Now comes gentleness. Gentleness is kind of close to kindness, but but not quite. It's very unique in the sense that uh, it is uh, uh, how you do everything. I mean... You can uh, discipline with gentleness. You can uh, exalt with gentleness. You can do everything with gentleness. And gentleness is a very important way to operate. I want to give you a passage of scripture here because I know we're short on time. We're going to move quickly. Psalm 1835 is going to be our verse. Psalm 1835 reads like this. Uh, you have given me uh, the shield of your salvation. Well, that sounds awesome. And your right hand upholds me. That sounds great too. And then here's the last part of this passage. Your gentleness makes me great. I mean, I I like to think I'm a bit of a tough guy. So I look at this and I think like, yeah, your shield, that would make me great. Your strong right hand, pretty great. But if you were to ask me, hey, do you think it's the gentleness of God that will make you great? I would be like, "Uh, let's go back to shield. And let's go back to that powerful right hook that God's got. (laughs) You know, I mean... But it's the truth, that it's the gentleness of God that makes me great. And when you think about gentleness, gentleness is really the the appropriate use of and the the reserved, uh, uh, controlled 
uh, element of power and authority in your life. It's not just out of control where you could just spout off or pop off at any moment, but it's under control. It's, it's used in the right way at the right time to get the right effect. And that's really what makes someone just great. It's what makes leaders great. It's what makes powerful people or positions of authority great when they know how to rightly use those things that they wield. Uh, greatness is, is something that has a definition. I want to read it to you because if it's gentleness that makes us great, and I'm testing my life, I want to ask, is there greatness in my life? Is greatness in my life? That way I know if gentleness is in my life. So when I go to look up the word greatness, by definition, here's what greatness is uh, uh, defined as. Being great. <laughs> Did that help you any? Uh, it doesn't really help a whole lot. Uh, but it, I go to great now because I want to see, you know, what does that actually mean? If I'm going to be that, if I'm going to test for that, what does that mean? Uh, it says that to, to be great is to be uh, considerably above average. Basically, it means you stand out as better. That's greatness. As we search our hearts, as we search our lives to examine ourselves for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and then gentleness, we ask ourselves, do we stand out? Do we stand out as a better solution than what the world has to offer? Is it better than average? And I think absolutely Jesus is by far better than average. Last one on the list here, and we're done. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Now the last one is going to be self-control. I want to give you a passage of scripture, and we're going to be done uh, here in, in two verses. Proverbs 16, 32. It says this. We've got to read a little bit between the lines here. But the one who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who has self-control is greater than the one who captures a city. When I'm testing my, my life, when I'm testing myself to see, am I in the faith? Is this fruit of the Holy Spirit an active part of my life? What I'm looking for here is, am I slow to anger? Am I slow to anger or am I quick to anger? Do I pop off at a moment's notice or is there the presence of self-control? When you know what to look for, you know what to, what, what to test for. You know what stands out. You know what to measure. And in these things, it's an important uh, necessity for us if our call is to examine ourselves, if we're to search our lives to see to it that we're actually living our lives as Christians and not just signing up for the eternal life club. And for me and for you, that's going to mean the presence of love, which means the absence of fear. It's going to mean the presence of joy, which is going to, to be this, the presence of God being an active part of our life, a pursuit of our life. It's going to mean the presence of peace, which is the absence of worry. It's going to mean the presence of patience, which is, is getting good results, things being better when we're involved rather than getting worse. It's going to mean the presence of kindness, which is going to be change, real, tangible change. It's going to be the presence of goodness, which is going to be those liberating works for those around us, their lives being improved by the ministry that is released from your life. It's going to be the presence of faithfulness, meaning that you do the things you say you'll do. It's going to be the presence of gentleness, which is that greatness that makes you far above average. And it's going to be the presence of self-control, which means you are not easily provoked but you're slow to anger. And when we were able to sit down and examine ourselves with the idea of not pass or fail, but the idea of we're going to get this right no matter what it takes, then we become the mature believers that God's called us to be 
to grow in the things that are pleasing to him and to accomplish the things that expand his kingdom to be the Christians that we've been anointed with the Holy Spirit and equipped with the name of Jesus to be. And that has a wonderful and powerful effect. I'll give you the results of that in a paraphrased version as we close here. It's from 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to give you verses 6 through 9, but I'm just going to paraphrase the result. It talks about the testing of your faith as you examine yourself. And that when that faith is found to be true, it has this wonderful and powerful effect. I'm going to read that to you from the last part of this. Verse 7 speaks of the proof of your faith, and verse 9 speaks of the result of that proof. Verse 9 reads like this. That with your faith being proven, there's the obtaining of the outcome that is the salvation, salvation excuse me, of your soul. It's the deliverance of your mind. That's where the soul exists, where your thoughts and your emotions and all of these things are present. The introduction of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control aren't just so that you do things the way God's, God likes it, but they're so that we can live healthy lives, so that our lives can be free from anxiety, fear, and doubt, and, and all of the, the, the quickness to anger and, and the destructive nature that ends up bringing about bad results instead of good results. It's all because God loves us. He's given us what we need to live healthy and godly lives, not only for ourselves, but for those around us. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray for us. It's kind of a lot to go through all of those. But as you go through them, the idea is examining yourself. And I don't know if you're wired like I am, but it's, it's not hard to think about the things that we do. I mean, if you have a, a string of events that make up this past week, if you have a string of events that make up this past month, a string of events that make up the past year, you, you may be able to recall everything that's ever occurred in your entire life. But no matter what, that recall is a wonderful gift. Not for the purpose of being shamed by uh, the misses and the, the failures, but to look for the things that need to be adjusted. It's how we grow and get better. And you take something like this and you begin to ask, and it'll be the prayer that we pray together here in a moment. And Father, help me to examine myself so that I can grow. Help me to examine myself so that I can succeed at actually living out my faith. That all of this wouldn't be a show and it wouldn't be all talk, but that this would have the results that you promise. And not only would they be good for me, but let them be good for those around me. And God is a wonderful, loving, heavenly Father who would love to sit down and chat with you with the idea being examining who you are. Not so that you feel ashamed of the failures, but so that you feel empowered to make something uh, uh, adjusted and changed for the glory and the goodness of God. And there where you, you stand right now, I want to pray and I want to ask that God begin to work in each of us, that we see that recall as a wonderful gift that God can bring to our mind the areas that we need to work on so that we can trust for his spirit to move and work on those areas. And we don't live a life uh, uh, shameful and, and in bondage to the things that aren't good, but rather we live with anticipation and excitement for those things becoming good, those things being healed, those things being adjusted and addressed in a way that makes them effective. 
because we're not called to be the same as we are right now. God's promise is to continue to change us in the direction that we need to go, and that direction is perfection. So there where you are, I want to pray for you. You're welcome to be in an attitude of agreement uh, or uh, just simply uh, receiving however you choose. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the call on our lives to be like Jesus. Help us to examine ourselves. Open up our minds and our hearts to be sensitive to your spirit. Uh, let, let memory come that needs to come. Show us the areas that need to be addressed and adjusted that we can come to you and ask for the fruits of your spirit to be magnified. Where we need love, let there be love, that we wouldn't be in bondage to fear. Where, where we need joy, let joy be magnified. Where we need peace, let peace be uh, poured out in abundance into our lives. And patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control, let these things be in abundance in each of us. In every area where there's a need or there's a lack, let us lean on you and trust in you. Let us come to you in prayer, simply asking, Father, will you meet this need by your spirit? Let my life come to know the wonders of self-control. Let my life come to know your greatness by knowing your gentleness. Let my life come to know faithfulness in every aspect of living, goodness, kindness. Let the fruit of your spirit be magnified in and through my life for my well-being and for the well-being of those around me. God, this is the prayer that we pray, that we wouldn't be content to remain the same as we are now, but that we would constantly be growing and maturing in the things of your kingdom. Let us examine ourselves and surrender to your work that we might continue to mature and continue to bring you honor and glory as we continue to look like Jesus. We bless your name and we thank you and rejoice in you in Jesus' mighty name. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.